You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I'm Sammy Cannold, and this is The Fabulous Invalid. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, a Broadway-centric podcast where we take a 360-degree view of the theater through interviews with writers, actors, directors, designers, and everyone in between. I'm Jamie Dumont, former Broadway marketer, personal chef, and event planner. I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with StageLeft.NYC. And I'm Jennifer Samard, formerly of Mean Girls and about to appear in Company on Broadway. Yay! Door rings, door chimes, something. (laughs) In walks Jen Samard. That's what my friend Erica Henningsen kept singing yesterday. She just sang everything related to company and she would switch all the lyrics to my name <laughs> so funny the social media love yesterday for you on your final performance of mean girls was really wonderful to watch yeah. jennifer i have a good group of kids yeah they yeah. are yeah. they really are and you were there last night yes. again your support is so <laughs> incredible thank you <laughs> we've so seen much. mean girls probably more than i've seen most shows this last Honestly, season yeah, yeah. You know? i'm a big fan you know we've said this before it's a great show it's just yeah. a really well done show yeah and None you are magnificent oh, in it. Oh, thank you so much. Were magnificent thank in you, it. Thank you, I know. Will forever be. I have to process yes. it all. Um, no, and it, none of it would have been possible without Tina Fey, so mm. brava, Tina. Yeah, how's it feel you're, you know, now that you're, you've, feel, you've closed this door? Yeah, I feel good. I feel relaxed. My shoulders have dropped. It's um, In any walk of life, no matter what you do for a living, there's a lot of pressure involved when you start a new job because you want to... Uh, not disappoint your um, superiors. You mm-hmm. want to, um, like high school, get along with everybody, mm-hmm. be liked, have them, you know, like them. Um, and I think other than um, the job itself and working with Tina Fey and Casey Nicola and how incredible that was, I think my biggest takeaway is that it felt so good to earn the love and respect of these kids they could, uh, could actually be my children. That's how big an age gap there is. And it, my best analogy is it felt like when you come into a show and you take over, like I'm a stepmom, mm. you know, because I took over for my friend Carrie Butler <laughs> and she was so beloved, of course. And so, you know, I'm the stepmom and like, we're not going to call you mom. We're going to call you Jen. And then by the end of this whole run, they're like, mom, we love <laughs> you, you know, and it's just, there's nothing more satisfying than that, you know? Mm. And I, I feel so grateful and I feel proud that that's how it ended that that we really do love each other so so much and I think that was evident yesterday and like they all just showed up and they came to the party and that genuinely seemed so excited and that's the part that feels the nicest I've I love those kids. Yeah. I love them. Well, that curtain call when they all swarmed you at the end. Yeah, we do. Th- now, so that's tradition. Sweet. We do yeah. that for everyone who, you know, who starts the show, is their mm. first debut or leaves the show. Mm-hmm. And it's really a unique group over there. And I'm going to miss them terribly. Yeah. It's a nice tradition. Yeah. <laughs> well, company is very fortunate to have you. Oh, but I'm going to put you, you on the spot super quickly because uh. I just have a question for you. Yeah. This is something we did once long ago and we didn't, uh, we never picked it up. Yeah. But when we did our trial episode, we played this game. Oh. And um, and we didn't end up using it on the show for a variety of reasons, but I'm going to ask this to you now. Yeah. Shag, Mary, kill, Mrs. George, Mrs. Heron, Miss Norberry. Oh, Shag, Mary, kill. Um, I think I would. I think I would shag Mrs. George because I think she'd just be so much fun in the sack, right? Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Oh yeah, she kinky. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think I would marry Ms. Norbury because 
she's, I think, the most like me. <laughs> and I'd know how to talk to myself. <laughs> and um, I think I'd kill Ms. Heron, not mostly by default, because I love her. But, you know, she's maybe a little too crunchy granola. For me, <laughs> I think know? the shoes. I think those shoes Just warrant the shoes death. alone. Yeah, right there. You know, and my tunic. I'm Sabrina George. Here is my audition for the Real Housewives of Illinois. I'm a mom who knows what she wants. Approval from her daughter. Remember, real beauty comes from the face and your plastic surgeon who has his own reality show. They say Regina's bark is worse than her bite. But trust me, it's not. That bite got infected. Tonight, we are excited to have with us at our table at Orso, Sammy Cannold, director who is one of Forbes magazine's 30 Under 30 in Hollywood and Entertainment of 2019. As we'll talk about extensively, she recently directed a stunning new production of Evita at New York City Center, and up next, she'll be directing Celine Song's Endlings Off-Broadway at New York Theatre Workshop after having helmed the world premiere at the American Repertory Theatre. Sammy, we're delighted to have you with us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, we're, we're delighted. We're very happy you're here <laughs> on this rainy night. Likewise, right, it is yes. so rainy. <laughs> it is, and it's going to rain all week, so oh no. uh, why can't we get a little snow is yeah, what I want to know. It's Much prefer the snow. So, Sammy, you are fresh off the heels of your spectacular production of Evita at uh, City Center, which was part <laughs> of their uh, annual gala. Yes. Um, and the production that you directed is a slightly revised production with a little sort of new twist. Tell us a little bit about your show. So, uh, I've been obsessed with Evita um, since I was in high school, and I, it, it is my favorite musical. It is a musical that means the most to me. And uh, I read every book I could get my hands on about Ava Peron and about her life. And um, as I was reading, the, the more I read, the more I was struck by the line in the musical that there was nowhere she'd been at the age of 15 that says that Ava's 15 at the beginning of the show. Because every time that I saw the show, it was a woman who was in her 30s playing the role. And um, it's theater. But at the same time, um, I was so excited about what it would mean to actually put a teenager in the role at, at that point in the musical and see what it means for the rest of the musical if we start with a with a young person um, for the reason of, of you know, uh, authenticity, but also for the reason of um, the more I read, the more that I understood that when she was a teenager, there were multiple um, incidents of rape and sexual assault in her young life. And if um, her encounter with Magaldi actually happened, she would have been 15 and he would have been 36. Mm. And I think... In 2019, we understand that differently than it may have been understood in the 1970s. And so having the opportunity to tell that story visually with the lyrics that are already miraculously in the show, like Tim Rice's acknowledgement of, of her age and it being not appropriate that this relationship <laughs> happened is, is all over the text. Um, but we had the opportunity to bring it out visually in this new time and it was such a special opportunity and um, I loved every minute of it so <laughs> grateful I was talking to Rob before uh, you got here and I, I told him that a very very long time ago I got to play the mistress he says well you should oh tell gosh. her because she does a wonderful thing with another suitcase another hall and can you tell us about that? yeah so when I was as soon as we realized we were gonna have two Avas in this production. We went through the show to try to figure out how it would, what the ripple effects would be elsewhere. And when we got to Another Suitcase and I was listening to it, I was like, oh, Another Suitcase is this girl's narrative, it is the mistress's narrative, but really it's Ava's narrative because it is the, it is the narrative that 15-year-old Ava would have sung if we ever got to hear what was in her, her soul. So what we did was, um, you know, with permission from, from the powers that be, uh, the mistress sang the verses of the song, but Ava and young Ava sang the choruses together, and young Ava appeared in flashback, mirroring the mistress, so that we understood that the experience that the mistress was going through, having just been thrown out by the now very empowered, very uh, in charge version of Ava, is exactly what she went through as a young person, and what does that mean for the older version of Ava to, to be seeing her younger self in this girl who she's just kicked out to the streets. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that I think, 
to me, that's sort of the centerpiece of, of this production. And I, I, I told my assistant and associate that um, it is the number that I would like to be performed at my funeral. Um, <laughs> not in a morbid sense, but it is like, it is the number that to me is like, what I have to say to the world as a director is like, everything is in that number, I think, so. Time and time again, I've said that I don't care that I'm immune to gloom, that I'm hard through and through. But every time it matters, all my words desert me, so anyone can hurt me, and they do. I have to say, I mean, when I had first read about the concept, you know, just like a single line in press materials that there were going to be two <laughs> actors playing it, at first I was like, oh, so someone's doing the matinees, someone's doing the evening, right? Yes. But then I like read it again, I was like, oh, no, 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 they're both playing the part in, you know, every night. Yeah. Um, and it occurred to me that like, you know, that that glow up moment for Ava is early on in the show, right? I mean, it's Buenos Aires, right? Yeah. It's when she comes to the big city and suddenly, you know, she really advances. Um, so I thought, oh, okay, so young Ava's really only going to be in it for like the first 10 minutes or something, right? Um, but then as you just alluded to, you so beautifully weaved sort of the, the ghost, if you will, uh, of young Ava <laughs> throughout the entire production. Yeah, she was comes that, back a Was lot. that like a process of trial and error, or did you have a clear vision from the get-go of where she would show up again? It was completely trial and error, and yeah. um, we had an amazing brain trust of uh, our creative team, which like sit until like <laughs> 1 a.m. like being like, okay, what if she has these seven appearances? Nope, it should probably be five. And uh, you know, where are they and how does she function? And I think what we landed on um, actually as a result of some amazing notes that we got from Janine Tesori who came to one of our mm. early run-throughs. Good person to give notes. So good, yeah, yeah. so good, <laughs> uh, the best. Right. Um, and she, I think, you know, as a director, I'm starting to find that I think a lot in pictures, like in what's gonna be a, an evocative picture. And I would make these pictures where like young Ava would come in and in a way that it would like mirror Ava. But then Janine was like, what does that mean? Like, who is she? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's an important question. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we took a step back and we said, okay, who is young Ava after she transitions into older Ava? Because we knew we wanted to bring young Ava back. We knew that was like uh, having a conversation between young Ava and older Ava was like the meat of what having two Avas allows you to do. Um, uh, but we didn't know it, it, what purpose young Ava served in Ava's life. Mm. So what Janine unlocked for us is that young Ava became a flashback. Mm. Every time she appeared, it was an allusion to something that had happened in the first 15 minutes of the show um, that we brought back as a way of either triggering Saleya, who played the older Ava, or her reckoning with her past self, or at the end of the play, her seeing her past self in a moment where she's failed um, and saying, oh, oh God, I let down the memory of my younger self and what does that mean for my demise at the end here? Um, so anyway, it was all trial and error and we, we, <laughs> we did this amazing pre-pro process with um, uh, 27 Pace students who helped us to figure out how to stage the show and when we did the run-throughs with Pace, we had like so many more um, appearances of Young Ava, and then we were, and then Jack Vertel, who is also somebody who you really want giving yeah, you notes, extraordinary notes, notes yeah. um, said, "I think you have diminishing returns on the flashbacks." And we were like, "Ah, uh, yeah, very polite yeah, way." We do. Yeah, he was, he was so right sweet about it, sweetest man. But Aww. we had diminishing returns. Yeah. <laughs> I understand you went to Argentina to do research. Did. What? How did that inform the piece for you? Um, uh, massively. Mm -hmm. um, I I've been three times. I went once when I directed did the show uh, in college, thanks to some amazing grant funding, um, and then uh, went twice this summer um, uh, with the show's associate director, Rebecca Aparicio, and um, we uh, interviewed so many people who either knew Ava or whose lives had been affected by her, um, and it's extraordinary because I think for me, as someone who's not Argentinian, I, I first and foremost saw it as my responsibility to get to know 
the subject as intimately as I possibly could because she's a woman who means so much to so many people in this country that for me to say I know her without actually knowing her would would I think be irresponsible so it was it was like that base level of like am I gonna get the facts right am I gonna know her as intimately as I need to um, but then on a on a deeper level um, you know we got to talk to uh, this woman named Maria Eugenia Alvarez, who um, is now 92 years old, and in the 50s, she was Ava's um, private nurse when she was dying of cancer. Okay. And wow. um, she's extraordinary. And she, um, uh, we went to her, her family's home and we talked to her for two and a half hours, and she just told us stories of what it was like to talk to Ava on her deathbed. And we were, I mean, we were so. And it all sort of trickled its way into the into the show, sometimes in visible ways, in the sense that like we had an ensemble member who played Maria Eugenia in the show, who was the, this nurse who did certain things that she did, um, but also just like in in ways that I don't know that we necessarily clock. Like we, um, for example, in in Hunin, um, when Ava, when Magaldi's trying to leave and Ava won't let him um, uh, typically that number is performed as if uh, Magaldi is like flying solo in this town all by himself but on our trip to Argentina all the historians kept saying to us well you know his wife was there and we were like oh that's complicated <laughs> so we put a woman from our ensemble who yeah. played Magaldi's wife into the scene to see what that would do we didn't add any text, obviously. Uh, but we were like, what's it going to do if, um, you know, she's she's there complicating the picture for 15-year-old Ava who thinks she had a one-night stand with a single man who's not so single. Mm-hmm. Tim Rice came to see the show, and and um, uh, I he was very complimentary, very nice. I saw him in intermission, and he started talking, going through all the things that he liked, which was very generous of him. And then he goes... And then Magaldi's wife. At first, I was like, "What is she doing?" And then I was like, "Okay." <laughs> well, it's it's funny you. because you know you, you mentioned a minute ago that you know you're a director who thinks very much in image, mm-hmm. and so was Hal Prince, right? Who sure. originally directed Avia, yes. right? I don't think there's a mistake that you both had success <laughs> uh, putting this uh, piece on stage. Um, but as you're mentioning these moments, they're all popping right back into my head. You know, oh, and it's so <laughs> it's incredible because a show like Evita, you know, for those who don't know it, um, it's almost entirely sung. There's very little text, yeah, right? And yeah. and you're not going to change the text, obviously. Right. And Tim Rice is one of the greatest lyricists of, of all, all time. time, right? <laughs> um, How exciting that he came to I see know. it, and that he tweeted about it. Oh my gosh, bravo! I know, very uh, but, but the challenge <laughs> that comes with that, of course, a show that is entirely sung, is that you're locked into a rhythm with the music yeah. and certain things that have to happen. How do you approach a musical that is almost entirely sung as a director? Because mm-hmm. I imagine you also had a choreographer you yes. were working with to you know, do dance as well. Yeah, we, we had an amazing choreography team um, of actually two choreographers. One who um, is named Valeria Solomonov, who's an Argentine tango choreographer. Mm. Um, and now and I'm thinking of those tango dancers. Right? Yes, it's all coming <laughs> yes, right I'm back. I'm so glad. Yes. The images. <laughs> those images are working. <laughs> uh, and then Emily Malpe, who I've, I've collaborated quite a bit with. And, and um, the two of them were like dynamite together because they brought such different things to the table, but were able to coalesce their styles in a way that was mm. really exciting. Um, and I think that, you know, to me, part of what's so exciting about Evita is that um, there's so much freedom for directors and choreographers in it, um, in the sense that the, the numbers don't dictate how you stage them. Um, like, I think you could go see, and I have seen like 12 productions of Evita. Um, <laughs> a little obsessed. Um, uh, and, and, and some numbers are staged in ways that you could never imagine them being staged because the lines don't dictate like now I'm walking into the house, mm-hmm. now I'm sitting down at the table. And I think that's part of the lack of, of, of dialogue helps with that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I mean, we, uh, and, and I think that like Halpern's production embraced that in the most amazing way that was so inspiring to us because it was so abstracted. Right. Um, and like one of the things that we 
pay homage to pretty directly in, in our production is um, he staged Art of the Possible as a game of musical chairs initially. So we did our own sort of stylized version of it. But So that's not um, in the text. That no, is a it's not directorial in the text. choice. I always thought it was. Not in the text. Just even the way the music starts and yeah. stops. Yeah. It just it sounds like musical chairs, whether it was whether whether you know it or not. One has no rules, is not precise. One rarely acts the same way twice. One spurns no device. Practicing the art of the possible. I think that the idea of it being a game of elimination has always been mm -hmm. part of it. The but the song, there's nothing yeah. in the in the libretto that suggests that it's supposed to be that. And the revival didn't do it that way. Um, mm. Oh, the last revival. The last revival didn't do it that way. So, I, you know, we, but we sort of felt um, as we were starting out that like we stylistically were closer to house production than we were to the revival. Mm -hmm. um, not through any judgment on either, but we were just like stylistically, we live more in that world. So I think there's naturally more that we borrowed or, or you know, were inspired by from from that production. And Hal was very inspired by 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 doubling and tripling. And in um, in uh, his first conversations with Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, he came to them and he pitched three Avas, mm -hmm. um, and. They said no, <laughs> um, and um, uh, so obviously I I didn't get to ask him about that, but I got to ask him about about it and and yeah. and, and others. And um, there's some things in various folks' biographies written about his interest in tripling, mm -hmm. um, and so we obviously didn't triple, but but doubling I think. Um, in many ways, in addition to all the dramaturgical reasons that we were interested in it, was also about you know paying homage to. To that idea of his yeah. and, and what it means to do that. In your really excellent TED Talk, which <laughs> I watched, and which everyone who's listening to this, as soon as you're done, you should go uh, watch your <laughs> TED Talk. Um, Thanks. You said something that I, I jotted down because I thought it was just so brilliant. Um, as a director, you said, I must investigate what it means to be telling the story in the time and, the pl and, in, and in the place that I'm telling it. Mm -hmm. And that might seem obvious, but it's not always the case, yeah. right? And, and it's very clear to me, having seen your production of Evita, that that is is very much you know your approach to right. this piece and as you're talking about your production team i keep hearing the name of women <laughs> and it sounds to me like part of that mission was bringing a team of women together Absolutely. to tell this woman's story yeah. which has historically not been the case for Correct. this musical yeah and and i think that you know i mean there there there's never been a first class production of avita directed or choreographed by a woman we're technically not a first-class production, so there's still never been one. What um, class are you? I, I don't know. Well, you're first class in my mind. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's like the categorization <laughs> of, of, I guess, like Broadway and the West End are sure, our, okay, our first okay. class, <laughs> or national tours. Um, uh, so that blew my mind when I heard it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but I was also just um, saddened by it because it just feels like I feel like I understand her story from the perspective of being a 25-year-old woman, and she's 25 at the age that she becomes first lady, 25, 26. Um, uh, and and I think that that women have something to say about her story. Um, not to say that anybody got it wrong. <laughs> I mean, every, everybody got it right. Yeah. But but I think there's like an added dimension to allowing women to tell her, her story, and also an added dimension to allowing Argentinians to tell her story. And we had nine Argentinians on the team. Um, in various capacities, and um, I, that was also so critical to me because I think, um, you know, if you go and talk about her in Argentina today, she is such a divisive figure. Mm. She she means so much to so many people in good ways and bad ways, and I was like, I think we need to tell that story from the perspective of the people who live it every mm. day. Um, and so we were so lucky to to do that, and you know, the the the. A example that sort of trickled its way into the piece most um, sort of compactly is that our our uh, costume designer Alejo Vietti is from Rosario, Argentina, 
um, and his father was in uh, in the Navy when the Prones were in power. And he um, went to a ceremony where he was required to shake Ava's hands. All the men in his naval uh, unit were required to shake her hand. She went on the line and she shook all their hands. And at the when she got to the end of the line, they all took their gloves off and they threw them on the ground. And um, as a means of saying, we are not in support of you. And she threw them all in jail for a night. So when I had this conversation with Alejo about doing the show, he was like, yeah, I'll do the show. But just so you know, Ava put my dad in jail. So I don't have particularly nice feelings about her. You know, so it's it, it was about incorporating that viewpoint uh, of of someone who for whom this story means so much and mm. we actually put that glove throwing into the production. Yes, yes. So, you know, it's things like Once that. Once again, that, those images. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very powerful moment when he takes the glove off. It was very clear. I, I did Good. not I did not know the backstory and I'm really glad you just told us all that cuz it's it's really powerful. Um, it's really interesting too that you, you you talk about going down to Argentina and you talk about what a divisive figure she's, she mm-hmm. still is down there and yet I think going back to um, your casting a younger Ava mm-hmm. I think that really helped in my experience of watching the show it helped put that all into perspective mm. so in other words older Ava is somehow with the with the presence of the younger Ava softened. It makes her uh, a sympathetic character. But then, while almost at the same time that you're having that experience, you have the Shea character who is vilifying her, or you have the army, or the you have you. you so it's constant, right? This idea you're constantly reinforcing this idea. Um, of what a complicated figure she was. There was good, there was bad, and everybody had an opinion about her. And it's just so beautifully done. I don't have a question. I wish you wrote our reviews. It's really more of a a, a compliment. It's so nice. Thanks. Well, you know, it's interesting because you you also mentioned Hal Prince, and and because you can't talk about the show without talking about, you can't really talk about theater without talking about Hal Prince. But that's another podcast. But his production looms large, Mm -hmm. right? And I would imagine that when you were putting this all together, you had to kind of navigate through that a little bit, right? And, Absolutely. And, and reconcile with that. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I, 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 he's obviously such an inspiration to me, and, and so at no point did I want the sentiment of the production to ever feel like, oh, well, they got it wrong, so now we're correcting it. Right. Um, because that's genuinely not how I feel. Um, uh, because I think... You know, in the '70s, their telling of Evita was amazing. <laughs> um, uh, and, it was and in also, the time and the place that they were telling exactly. It. And and it would be amazing again now. I think that there are like 27 different productions of Evita that could coexist because it is a musical with all those concords and colors within it. So, um, uh, I just you know I I wanted to be so clear that we wanted to respect what came before us while also saying, you know, revivals give us the opportunity to to do something new. So right. is there is there talk about this being a first class? <laughs> Let's just um, get to it. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, the conversations are so complicated, mm-hmm. but but um, that would be such Wouldn't a dream. That'd be nice. Yeah, that would right? be such a dream. <laughs> Let's all go cross our fingers. Well, you mentioned, um, we could talk about Evita all day, and I know we have other, we do have other, other things that we want to talk to you about, but you mentioned Che just now. Yes. And... I didn't want to let this moment pass without talking to you about <laughs> yeah, that character yeah. because ever since I first encountered this musical as a 10-year-old listening to my double CD of the Aww. original Broadway production, <laughs> um, I've always been so confused uh-huh. by that character, by um, just the, the decision to put Che Guevara, right. a Cuban revolutionary, in this story about Argentina when he wasn't, I mean, you know, his activism was... Ava was dead, right, by the time he was, you know, organizing. Um, How did you approach that character? What was your thought process behind sort of bridging those gaps and making it your own for this production? Yeah, it's complicated. To me, he was the biggest challenge because I disagree with him. Um, Like, Mm. uh, in terms of I'm on Ava's side as a human. (laughs) Like, and... and, and, um, Poor sweet Jason Gautier, um, who, who who did a miraculous job in the role, was like, you so clearly don't agree with my character. And I was like, that's correct. Um, um, <laughs> um, and I tried so hard to 
hide it. Um, uh, uh, but um, I think that, you know, for me, actually, you mentioned, you know, like a, a future first class production. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that I want to keep cracking, mm -hmm. um, uh, not in terms of anybody's performance, but in terms of who Che is in this version of the story, because yeah. I think that, um, you know, uh, you, you can choose to lean hard in the Che Guevara direction. Um, we did not. Right. Um, uh, and uh, what, when you don't, I, I, my 13 year old cousin came to one of our run throughs, um, and, and uh, similarly <laughs> to Ginny DeSore and Jack Vertel, um, gave the most amazing notes. Um, the biggest note of which was, Who's that guy? And she pointed to Jason, and I was like, It's a fair note. We didn't <laughs> really tell you who he was. He just showed up and started telling the story. So um, I, I, I think, you know, to me, he um, was inspired by Che Guevara, which is essentially what Tim Rice says, mm -hmm. um, uh, but is not literally Che Guevara. But I, I very much admit that I think there's another frontier to how that character functions in this version of the mm -hmm. piece. Should be be so lucky as to get to do it again. Have and, more time to you know, suss it all out. Yeah, more yeah. than 10 days, by the way, everybody. <laughs> you have 10 days to make these if you don't know. 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> it's my mission statement to make sure everybody knows. knows. 10 days. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Which is remarkable. Yeah, really One, is. that they ask people to do that. Yeah. Two, that people accept that yeah. job. And that it is always pulled off. I mean, it always yeah. comes together. I mean, obviously, certain shows are more successful than others. Your, yours being at the top of that list. But... It is. It had to have been a crazy, crazy, frustrating process for you as a director. I will say that actually, the 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 ten days, the like <laughs> notorious ten days, um, themselves were not bad because we we psyched ourselves up so much about them that we were we were we planned every single minute and we knew exactly what we were going to do and. Um, we had 10 days of pre-production before that with, with these amazing pace students. So um, we, we came in and we hit the ground running. What for me was very difficult was when the show opened and suddenly there are 2,300 people watching something that you made in 10 days right. and 10 days and a day and a half of tech <laughs> to, to paint the full picture. Um, uh, and you just feel very naked um, because, you know, typically you'd have three times that it, or more four times there's that. no preview period there's no preview period you just open. yeah and so I would watch the show I, I actually had to stop watching the show because I was like I couldn't watch it without thinking I want to change these 20 things right. and the actors were doing such an incredible <laughs> job but I was like you're trapped in a show that's not done mm -hmm. um, and and so that is what Encores is and it's beautiful and it's magical but as an artist of course you're like I want to keep going, right. you know. Um, uh, so, I'm, I'm really proud of what we made, and at the same time, I I think there would be a lot more to do had you know if in a world where we have more time. Yeah. But as a director, globally speaking, yeah. do you feel that way about all your shows, or do you do you ever feel like okay, this is done, we're we're we are finished with this piece? I uh, I kind of do. I mean, I, I I can't help but go back and and I mean, and also I I haven't had shows that have run for very long yet. But um, my point of reference is I did a show at the ART last year, and um, the, the play is short, and we had a long rehearsal period, and we got to a point where I was like, all right, we're ready. Yeah. Um, and now we're doing another production of the play, and there are tons and tons of things that we're changing now based on what we learned from the audience and everything, but I, I felt it more in the, way more in this process than I think in other processes because... Um, we had so many ideas, and I think part of it was the match of of this version of Avita with the city center process, because what they do there is heroic. What the staff <laughs> does is heroic, and um, I think oftentimes they're not reinventing these musicals. They're saying, "Look at this gem from 1957. <laughs> we're just we're going to show it to you in a uh, sort of." Um, uh, uh, what's it called, like a um, museum piece of what it was. And of course directors put their stamp on it, and, and but it is oftentimes an homage to what it originally right. was. And for us, we were like, we are reinventing the <laughs> wheel. Um, 
and doing it in 10 days. And I think it was the combo of those two things. If we had been recreating house production or doing something quote unquote easier, right. I don't think I would feel that because we'd, we'd have a product that we know works. Mm but we were experimenting with new ideas. Yeah. That's really interesting, because what I'm hearing you say is that because you had this 10-day process, it allowed you the liberty to take these chances that you didn't have any, you couldn't You couldn't second-guess yourself at all, right? So you strip something, you add this, you do that. You just have to do it and move on and, and make it work. Yeah, that's the thing that it's magical for, is that you, you go with your first impulse and you yeah. run. Yeah. And it teaches you a lot about who you are as an artist, I think, mm. because you, you learn what your default is. Yeah. Um, so, and you also don't have time to, I mean, I, I don't know, as a, as a director, like, and I think this is probably because I'm younger, but like, I constantly analyze the way I talk to actors. Like, I, I constantly analyze the way that I run a room. I constantly, am like, self um, um, evaluating. And Encores gives you no time for that. You're just like, I'm a director, and I'm going to say things, and things are going to happen now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> things happen. Yeah. And you brought so. up, um, you just brought up ART, and you mm -hmm. have a, a history with the American Repertory yeah. Theater. So a couple things, you know, what are the benefits and challenges of working in a theater like that? And I think one of the productions you did was Violet, uh, as well as in college, a, yeah. a show on a bus, yeah. and staged <laughs> on a bus, so I want to know th that, and, and do you have other site-specific things in mind and yeah um, so uh, I mean ART is such a, a, a magical place in a way that's different from City Center both magical places but different and and I think to me what makes ART so special is its mission statement of expanding the boundaries of theater because everything that they do is about um, questioning what theater is and can be and I think that boldness and that audacity is like so thrilling and um, I've worked on nine shows there in the past however many years and um uh violet as you mentioned we did on a on a moving bus that that uh drove through cambridge and it stopped at various stops and uh the audience was on the bus with mm -hmm. the actors um and uh it was amazing because i think at art they're used to asking questions like i mean they're, they're not used to asking questions like you know when do we need to fill up the bus's gas? But they, they're used to asking questions like that because so much of the work they do is so idiosyncratic that they, they're not shy about questions of, you know, they had a garden on stage four seasons ago and, you know, now they have boats running around the stage in Moby Dick. And, you know, it's like there are all these things that um, are outside of the boundaries of what we typically think of as theater. Um, so working there was really special. And then in, in terms of site-specific work, um, we're hoping that uh, a production of uh, Ragtime that was site-specific on Ellis Island uh, may be uh, on the way in full soon. We'll, we'll see what, what happens. When was that done? Uh, I directed a concert of it uh, in 2016 mm. that was on Ellis Island, and it was for one night. Um, and uh, it was so, I mean, it, it was such a special experience for for me getting to you know, be in the middle of it all but um, I think the goal of it was always to see could we do this for a long period of time on the island make it accessible um, and 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 um, tell this story that like really matters right now I mean ragtime always matters but like yes. it re right now like no especially even, right now it was yes. like every minute it gets more and more relevant right um, uh, and I think that we have been you know trying to get it off off the ground mm. and uh we're close. The skies were blue and hazy, rarely a storm, barely a chill. Tell us, how many people were in the company when you did the concert version of Ragtime at Ellis Island? Oh, I think it was 46. Wow. I, I love think. that. I know. That's crazy. Did you have a full so orchestra? We had 12 pieces. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was such a wacky venture. I mean, I look <laughs> back on it now and I was like, how did we, what? Um, because, you know, I, I um, 
had after I did uh, Violet on a Bus in in college, <laughs> I like made a list of site specific musicals that I was you know musicals that could be performed site specifically. Yeah, Ragtime paired with Ellis Island was at the top of that list, and we wrote to the National Park Service. And we said, Hey, like, how do you do an event on Ellis Island? At the time, the plan was to do like some friends around a piano singing songs from Ragtime on Ellis Island just to like test what it would be like, and. Um, they sent us a permit that was like, you can rent Ellis Island for the night. So we did, <laughs> raised $150,000, and it, it snowballed into this thing that was so much bigger than we anticipated because we, um, I, I was friendly with Laura Michelle Kelly, and she had said to me, you know, if you ever... Um, I, w I was like an intern on a show that she was doing <laughs> and she was, she was so sweet to all the interns and she said, you know, if you ever need me to like come sing anything for you and I think she meant like at 54 Below but um, like I I'll do it <laughs> and so I was like, hi Laura, like do you want to come sing Mother in Ragtime on Ellis Island and she was like, okay um, and, and, and then as soon as we had her on board we were like, well, now we need people who are of her caliber, and it was just this amazing snowball that just grew. And so. I think what you're talking about, I think I think there's a very important lesson uh, twice in what you just said, mm. both with calling the Parks Department and just calling Laura Michelle Kelly, yeah. and that is you have to ask for what you want. You have to just do it. Sometimes, sometimes the craziest ideas that you think people will think are the craziest ideas <laughs> are not to other people the craziest ideas. Yeah. Like clearly the parks department heard that and thought, oh, well, sure, <laughs> why not? For who knows what, who knows? Maybe they wanted the money. Maybe right. they maybe they like <laughs> ragtime. We have Any no, reason. I, I don't know what their motivations yes. were for it, but, but that's not the point. <clears throat> point is you had the gumption to say, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call this person, I'm gonna call that person. And then suddenly all the pieces fall into place. Plus, who else you got Laura Michelle Kelly. You just said, now we have to elevate the class. We have to surround <laughs> ourselves with like talent. Who yeah. else was in that company? Um, Brandon Victor Dixon, Shana Taub, um, uh, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell narrated it. Oh my gosh. Um, Aisha Jackson with Sarah, Michael Park, um, oh. Andy Biantis. It was like such a. And we were uh, so lucky. Robert Georgia Petkoff. Angle, Robert Peckoff. Yeah. I mean, it was and like. Did what? You, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 again, that's, a, we keep saying this, it's a first class A production <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a show. Yeah. And I think it's just remarkable that you were. Um, younger than you are now <laughs> and and that you did it and and I think it's I guess I just have to say this one more time it's that class it's a great lesson of you have to do what you believe in and you have to just try yeah right I think that's it's your proof right there Thanks. you know you're operating in a in a world in which tragically there are not a lot of female directors right who are working you know yeah in first-class productions right. of musicals. Yeah. And that's changing, uh -huh. thank heavens. And I know you worked with Rachel Chavkin yes. on Great Comet, yes. and she's, you know, one Queen. of the women who's <laughs> pioneer, but, you know, it was very striking in her Tony acceptance speech, right? Yeah. Where she said, you know, for, uh, for an industry whose job it is to imagine, it's shocking how little we imagine what the world could be, right? Yeah. Um, so who, who are some other women who have been mentors to you um, or who you oh. look up to, you know, in I this space. I love this question. Yeah. Um, uh, so Rachel, first and foremost, I mean, she, I've I worked for her for four years and... Mm. Um, uh, on Great Comet or on, on other projects? Um, on Great Comet, I was her personal assistant for three years, oh, okay. um, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, it was like the hardest thing ever to quit. Um, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, she, she just is so amazing and focused on mentorship. And I think that's not always the case. And um, she, you know, she has this rule that I, I find so uh, incredible that with all of her ADs, she'll say to all of us, your work comes first, which is like such a generous thing to say to someone who you really need to be around all the time. Because mm. um, I feel it now that I have ADs of my own. I'm like... I really want to say that to them, but I really need them. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and, and she, like, to her, it's like fostering the voice of the next generation is, is more important mm. than her, you know, whatever she needs, you know. And, and I think obviously within reason, but sure. but um, 
it, it gave me the freedom to be able to um, do my own work alongside working for her, and I think that's really rare. And then um, uh, Dime Paulus um, mm-hmm. is, is, I mean, um, I first worked for her, and I've worked for her on and off for, for seven years, and um, I, her vision of what theater can be, which is the vision of the American Repertory Theater, like right. she she rewrote the mission statement, <laughs> but um, uh, is so inspiring to me, and, and working for her taught me so much. I think it, it goes back to what you were saying about um, knowing to pick up the phone and call, because um, when I first, I was very, very obsessed with Diane Paulus in college, like very obsessed. Um, and so working for her was a very surreal experience. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I met with her assistant director at the time, who's now her very long time associate, Mia Walker. And um, she was so kind and like answered like my 27 questions. And um, I said, what, what do you think is the silver bullet to Diane's success as a director? Because I just want to know how to become Diane Paulus. Um, and she said she asks for what she needs. And I was like, I, I will never forget that answer because I, I felt, and you know, it goes back to what you were saying about being a, a woman and being a young woman in particular. Yeah. When I walk into rooms, particularly high caliber rooms, it's very hard to have the courage to say like, no, I'm sorry, I need you to be on time. Or no, I'm sorry, I really would like that dress to be blue. Or, you know, to, yeah. to say like, I and, and or like I need more tech time. Like, and, and to know what you need to ask for because at the end of the day, the product is is on you. And if you don't ask for what you need, the product will suffer. And so that has stayed right here um, uh, for ever, I mean, since, since that conversation. So um, those two, Diane Borger at the American Repertory Theater has given me like every <laughs> opportunity I've ever had and is like, we, we went to Korea together to do research for a play. She's the <laughs> most amazing warm, warm woman who, she's not a director, but like has opened the doors for so many directors. Um, and she, it's so funny, um, she, um, has a group of women in London, like every female director in London who's like 40 and under, at some point was given a job by Diane Borger. And so she has this club of like girls that, that are forging a new path. And um, she's, I should say, she's the executive producer at the American Repertory Theater. She is Diane Paulus's counterpart. Um, uh, so, you know, them and so many others, but yeah. um, I'm lucky. <laughs> Good role models. <laughs> yes. You you referenced this a, a little bit ago, but but next up for you is Celine Song's Endlings, yes. which is the production at ART you spoke about a moment ago. Tell us a little bit about Endlings. So it's a play about Korean free divers who live on islands off the coast of mainland South Korea, and there are these remarkable women, uh, women only who dive to harvest seafood off the ocean floor, and they do it without any equipment. So no scuba, no snorkel, nothing. They go uh, up to 60 feet deep, and they can hold their breath, some of them, for up to 20 minutes. Oh my God. And the, the, the craziest thing about them <laughs> is the that they, they, don't, um, they never retire, so you do it until you die. Um, and so the oldest woman doing it right now in Korea is 98 years old. And the majority of women who are still diving are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s because fewer and fewer young women are choosing to go into the profession and it's going extinct. So now there are only 6,000 of these women left in the world and UNESCO predicts that in 15 years there will be none of them. So the play is about the lives of these women. Act one is about the lives of these women and then act two is about what it means for Celine, who's the playwright, to be writing about them in the very whitewashed theatrical landscape that she's writing in. Mm. Um, and so I, I love the play so much. Um, Airty was such an amazing experience to, to work on it. And like, you know, much like I was saying with, with, with Encores, to get more time to keep working is such a gift. And the, the production at New York Theatre Workshop will be a bit different in a number of specific ways in that um, the the space is quite different from ART. So we've redesigned the set quite a bit, but it is the same DNA of the of the production at ART. So and when does it excited. begin? We um, uh, start previews in mid-February and we open March 9th. Okay. Um, so very, very excited. Are you in rehearsals now or do you start uh, shortly? Jan- Mid-January. Okay. Yeah, and our, our rehearsals are particularly fun because we rehearse um, uh, five days a week 
um, in a rehearsal studio, and then the sixth day we go to a pool. So, um, <laughs> um, because there's a tank on stage, I should say that. So um, we have a we have a 40 foot long water tank that's on stage, wow. and the actors who um, are uh, all senior citizens um, uh, dive and swim during the course of the show. Not only is it a story that, like, my jaw dropped when you started describing <laughs> it, um, but also, you know, it, it sounds like a piece that is anchored by older actors. Yes. Which is another, you know, talk about an underrepresented group and a group who never gets exciting new material to yes. perform. I mean, it's been it's been remarkable to, to audition. And actually, this morning I was auditioning um, Understudies for the Three Women, which is a particularly heroic track because we have we're hiring one understudy who's going to cover... The three women um, who who who's yeah. starring it, so she has a hefty um, <laughs> task. Um, uh, but you know, elderly Asian women are a group that have been given terrible roles over the years. Yeah. Um, I mean, no role is terrible, but but not been given meaty roles over the years. Right. Um, and and I think that it's it's so. Um, frustrating uh, to me and to Celine when we watch the reels of these these women when we're trying to cast them, and everything is like, you know, um, uh, all, all the roles that they're playing are so um, uh, stereotypical in a way that is is really um, frustrating. So I think one of the things amazing things that Celine has done in writing this play is created these really meaty roles for. Asian women in their 70s, and I'm, I'm in awe of her, and, and so lucky to be working on the play, so. Oh, great. Well, Just we can't yeah. wait to see it, because <laughs> I will I will be there. I love yeah. New York Theater Workshop, <laughs> and uh, you've hooked me with that, no, with that so setup. Glad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it, too. Such Perfect. Cool place to you don't be. like to make it easy on yourself, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ellis Island, yeah. a 40 no. foot tang. You're yeah. really, dr it feels like, I, you're, you're clearly drawn to projects <clears throat> that have social significance you're clearly drawn to projects that highlight women or have really strong female roles um, you're really drawn to projects that are logistically complicated yes. or you make the projects <laughs> logistically <laughs> complicated I'm not yes. sure which um, but I think it's what probably interests you the most the the combination of these these things, correct? Better than I could have said it myself. Yeah, I, it's it's the complexity. I mean, it's 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 like, I I, I feel so silly to say this, but it, I I really don't know how to direct, like two people on a couch plays. <laughs> like I respect the hell out of them, and I go I go see them all the time, but um, I, I don't know how to do intimacy and simplicity in that way. Um, right. I mean, I, I know how to do intimacy, but like the the where I think. And I don't necessarily know why, but I gravitate towards um, things that are very challenging, physically speaking, um, uh, in the sense of, uh, like, I, I can't wait to, like, one day work with automation. <laughs> like, um, because I'm like, I love tech, I love moving things, I love, you know, scenery. I'm doing an opera this year, and, like, I'm so excited about what it means to work in opera with, like, so many big moving pieces. and. You know, my my personal like dream job of like my entire life <laughs> is the Olympic opening ceremonies, because it's like that level of complexity and scope and size is just so thrilling to me as a storyteller, and um, so all these things sort of feel related to that in 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 some kernel way. I love that you're that you have a goal of the Olympic opening <laughs> ceremonies. I had written a question yes. that that. <laughs> And that question was, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> and I think you may have given a version of an answer to that. I don't that. know if it's 10 years, maybe it's 20. <laughs> or, or maybe <laughs> five, <laughs> you know. Well, maybe not five, because these things are probably planned yeah. a little also, bit. Also, they're on even years. Oh, that's true. Right, so, okay. it has to be in, it has to it be, probably has to be in America, because they're not going to, I doubt I'd get hired Usually it's to, a like, local hire. Like yeah, the, yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> So but, a lot of things happen. So we need up. to get behind an Olympic campaign for yes. US City. Thank we you. gotta make this happen. <laughs> but it's interesting that I think, you know, as we live in as our as as we live in complicated times mm -hmm. that we do, I think it's really interesting that you're not interested in telling a, a simple, uncomplicated story or telling a story in an uncomplicated way. Like, I think that I think that the, the world in which we live and the things that you are drawn to live perfectly together. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I'm excited. Yes. Also, that mm -hmm. opera that you referenced, is that Carmen? Yes. Yes. I'm directing it. With Master Voices, right? <laughs> With Master Voices yes. um, in the spring. I've never directed opera before, so I'm learning very well, you quickly. You picked a good one, yes. I, 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 I didn't pick it, but I'm, 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 I'm so jazzed. Yeah. And, and um, it's for one night at Rose Hall at Lincoln Center, and um, it, it's like very, I'm really grateful that they trusted me with it because um, I'm so excited to move into that art form and I feel like I needed a safe way to do it. And yeah. this, you know, obviously it's not safe, it's at Lincoln Center, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's one night, so it's not <laughs> reviewed. There, It doesn't have to be sustainable. Right. It can just be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can we do in one and night? And that's a very unique space, Rose Hall. Yeah. So that's another, you know, sort of challenge built into it. How do you do an opera? with a stage like that. Well, we're lucky because yeah. Carmen has all these allusions to bull rings and, mm. and you know, many directors have staged it in, in, in uh, as if we're in a bull ring, but yeah. that theater is shaped like a bull ring. Right. So we are very lucky and we fit right into that. So. You went to Argentina to, to research and prepare for Evita. You're new to the opera world. What's that research process gonna be like? Um, seeing a lot uh, of opera, because um, uh, I mean, it's it's two levels for me, right? It's it's uh, researching the form, um, and then researching the content. So um, uh, I'm starting with form, uh, and and calling a lot of directors who've done opera and just saying, what's your process? Reading reading books. I, I'm I'm just starting now, yeah. so um, uh, it's it's fun, um, yeah. uh, and I'm going to see a, a lot of opera in the next. In the Did next you see Akhenaten? No. Oh, we I loved know, it. you we told me it. to. We loved it. Well, I think, it's, I, I think it was Des Mackinoff in our interview who said one of the things he loves about directing, maybe this one didn't make the final cut or not, but is that you get to dive into a whole world and you get to learn everything you can about this one very specific subject, right? It did make the final cut. There you go. Okay. The yes, episode. Yes. 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 It, I mean, it's just, and, and I think like I've now done this on, for three shows where I've taken like very immersed trips to mm. try to and, and I, I don't personally like like going on vacation um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's not something that I get joy out of and like my mother is kind of the same way so like w what we do instead is we go on like research trips <laughs> it's very nerdy um, uh, and, and so that that was Argentina and then that was Korea, Korea when I went with, right. with Diane Borger and um, I find that like if I can bring into the room an experience of having lived the story firsthand in some specific way, mm -hmm. I am so much better at my job than if I hadn't done that. And obviously it's expensive and everything, but when you're not, you know, going to Florida or the Bahamas, <laughs> you can go to Korea. Um, so um, uh, it, I, I, I find it so enriching. And I think like as a director, I'm like so research oriented and um, uh, like, I, uh, historical musicals are sort of, in addition to, to what you said, like I gravitate so heavily to them because there's so much I can do and learn yeah. um, before I even step foot in the room. So it was a trip to Spain on the horizon? So I, I've been. Oh, okay. So, All I, right. so I okay. feel like that yeah. tri you've got trickles the, you've in. You've got the setting. You yeah. unknowingly did your research. Exactly, <laughs> right? It's the I universe did. telling you someday yes, you're going to do this Carmen. Someday, it's going to be useful. Right? Yeah. So, Amazing. Um, Is yeah. there a historical musical that you are interested in tackling? Many. Um, I think Man of La Mancha is like the top of my list of things I would love to do. Um, uh, Aida, obviously, there's a production in the works now, mm -hmm. so not any time in, <laughs> in the near future, but or you know, maybe in another state or like elsewhere. Um, uh, I'd really love to revisit Violet now that like I'm a little older and like have more research under my belt. Um, uh, yeah, those are like the three historical ones that are Les Mis I mean but uh. when when do you get to direct a production of Les Mis <laughs> well we have one final question that we yes. ask everyone I yes. think you're probably aware of what uh. this question is yes. um, <laughs> been thinking so, about it <laughs> I'm not surprised um, but that is what was that show or experience that made you want to do what you do um, so I, I, my answer is pre-prepared because I'm a very avid listener um, uh, uh, so when I was a freshman in college I um, saw Diane Paulus's revival of Pippin, and I, I was lucky in that like I grew up around a lot of theater. I saw a ton of theater, but seeing that production was the moment where I was like, ah, I'm doing this because I sat and watched Act One, knowing the musical, but then also knowing what Diane did to it, 
And then at the end of act one, I like turned around in my seat and I was sitting like towards the back of the orchestra and Diane Paulus was standing behind me, like noting her own show. And I, it was just like something clicked with having seen that and then seeing the human who dreamt it up. And I was like, oh, I could do that. And, and so that was when I was like, I want to be a director. And then I went up to her and I was like, hi. <laughs> I'm a fan girl. <laughs> that I worked for for seven years. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's next level. Exactly. Yeah. But, so had you not thought about being a director before that moment? I or? had. Um, I I uh, very much so. I had. But I I was on a like my my mom works in theater. And my dad works in film. And um, when I I I did a ton of theater as a kid. Had had some like bizarre. <laughs> quote-unquote directing experiences as a kid um, uh, as much as it could be called directing um, and then was in a period of revolt when I went to college because I was like I'm not gonna do what my mom does I don't I don't want to you know be that kid who yeah. like you know goes into the family business um, and then that the moment of seeing Diane was the moment that I was like I'm coming out of my period of revolts here we go <laughs> Well, the world is a better place that you went into the family business. <laughs> yes. I can say that. Yeah. Also, did we talk about this? Pippin was my show. Really? Yeah, oh, but that's the right. but the original, the original. production. Wow. My 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 parents, for better or worse, took me when I was way too young to oh see my. the show. I was. That's like, the only way to see Pippin when you're way too young. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I was like nine. Or so I was wow. really young. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know the show. <laughs> but but it, yeah, but it was that was that was the show for me that 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 I thought, what is this? Right. What is this? What is happening? Who are these people? What is this thing? It you was should do a tally of everybody's responses and right? like see what the most popular... We have a lot of Fiddler on Fiddler. The a lot of yeah. Fiddler. Yeah. A lot of Fiddler. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one other. Fiddler and... Uh, you're the, I think you're the first Pippin outside of me, right? Wow. Yeah. I'm Hello Dolly. That was He's Hello show. Dolly. Okay. There's right. a few Hello Dolly. Local high school production. <laughs> yeah. And that hooked me. Yeah. I was Fiddler because I was... Four or five, I think. Oh my gosh. And I saw it was the first production I saw. Yeah. So in Manchester, right? In Manchester, yeah. New Hampshire. Wow. Yeah. So that's what Amazing. did it. You know? Oh. Wow. I remember I they know this, but I was looking at a little girl on stage, the youngest daughter, and I was in the front row balcony and I was tugging on my mother's coat. I was like, I don't want to be up here, I want to be down there. <laughs> <laughs> well it worked. She, I, I'm she looks like me. <laughs> And we're, we're glad you saw well, that. You can't, yeah. you can't be what you can't see, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know, it's like Janine Tesori's Tony speech. You right? have to see it to be it. Yep, yep. And it's, Rachel Chapkin, Diane Paulus. You didn't Thank just you. see any director. Yeah. You saw Diane Paulus. Yeah, right? yeah. And that, that's meaningful. And right? I think it means a lot that, like, I look like her. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, I could see myself. And, right. you know, I'd see myself. Literally see yourself. You know. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I saw, you know, my mom my whole life, but... Right. but when it's your mom, mom, you're like, right, oh, exactly. my mom. Right. No offense, mom. She's definitely going to listen. <laughs> this is the book we need. We need the book of female Tony Award acceptance speeches of empowerment. Yes. But mm. we need more women to win Tony Awards right, so before we, we can, can have this book yeah, written. So it's yeah. not a pamphlet, right? It right. needs to be, needs a, to be yeah. a coffee Pretty, table book. Yes. Yeah. It's got to be substantial. Yeah. But I mean, it's. I'm, I'm so grateful for them, for Lear de Bessonet, for yes. Annie Kaufman, for Lee Silverman, like all of that. I mean, it's so inspiring. Lear, who's taking over Encores. Encores. Yeah. And has been a huge help to me and so many others. She's such a good mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been very fortunate with your mentorship. I really have. And, and I assume you're going to you're gonna, you're gonna be forward. that person yeah. for somebody else. I, I, I hope I'll be helpful. Yeah, <laughs> I think you will. I mean, I, I certainly will intend to be. I don't know if what I say will be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Well, Sammy, it's been an absolute delight having Likewise, you join us. Thanks. I'm so honored as a <laughs> listener. It's like, wow. Aww. Thank We're you so honored. much. Thank you. Real pleasure. Jamie here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. 
Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman, and be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.